our scriptures together. The title of the message is The Power of a Testimony. And we have been going through all the T's when it comes to stewardship. We've gone through time, talents, treasures, and now testimony. So I want to read the first scripture under uh, 1 John 5.10. And it says, everybody together, those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. And the next scripture says, your lives are echoing the master's word. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. Turn to somebody and tell them you're the message. Go ahead and have a seat. You're the message, the power of a testimony. And if you open it up, you can follow along and write your notes right along them so you kind of know exactly where I'm at in my message. Today, I want to remind us that we are all in a war, and it's a spiritual war, and the enemy is out to steal our testimony. Your life is speaking volumes. Your life is yelling so loud that I can't even hear what you're saying because you're speaking in what you do. Some people learn from their own mistakes while other people learn from other people's mistakes. I need to let you know this morning, there isn't enough time for us to learn everything. We need to learn from other people's mistakes. How many of you want to learn from somebody else? That's the way to go because even the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 12, a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than jewelry made of the finest gold. When we listen to other people, when we learn from other people's mistakes, then we grow wise. When you became a believer, you also became God's messenger. And God wants to speak to the world through your personal testimony, through you. God wants to speak. So what are the ways we need to keep our testimony? The first way, right, number one, says keeping our testimony through trials and pain. The scripture says, I have the highest confidence in you, and I take pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. How do we act when we're going through trials and pain in our life? How do we act? Do you keep your testimony of faith, and do you encourage people, or do you walk around feeling sorry for yourself? Oh, poor me. You don't know what I'm going through. See, we usually think of suffering in our lives as a negative. Because of something that we've done wrong or maybe because of sin, we never think of going through trials and pain as a privilege. Who would ever think going through a trial is a privilege? Who would ever think going through pain in our body is a privilege? But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this is what Paul says. He says, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy in his kingdom for which you are suffering. Suffering and worthiness, who would ever put those two things together? See, the Thessalonians were suffering in the gospel for, in ways that we can't even understand. These Christians...
Christians were grateful that they were having the privilege to suffer. Is that a weird way of thinking or what? Because there are people today who still have this kind of attitude. We prayed for Stella Garcia, Pastor Saul's wife. He's one of the elders in our ministry. And I spoke with her this weekend because she's preparing for a hip replacement on Tuesday. Now, I've known Stella for 38 years. And I have known everything that she has suffered. I tell her that she has the gift of martyrdom. Now, for some of you, you may think martyrdom, you're only, that, isn't that like a gift to die? No, 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 no. Far from it. The gift of martyrdom. See, first of all, you, know, you need to understand that spiritual gifts are given to someone in the body of Christ so that they can be an encouragement to the whole body. And the gift of martyrdom is the ability to go through pain and suffering and keep a smile on their face and keep a great attitude and encourage other people while they're going through it. And I know that Stella has the gift of martyrdom because let me just give you an idea of what she has lived through these last years. Not only is she going for a hip replacement on Tuesday, but she has been suffering from cirrhosis of the liver for over 20 years. She has had to have a hysterectomy, her gallbladder removed, she's had an appendectomy, she has carpal tunnel syndrome, she's had extreme skin rashes that have landed her in the hospital. She has an infection that swells up her body on any given day. She's got bone spurs on the top of her spine in her neck. And she has three vertebrae in her back that are pinched that also need surgery. She lives in pain. Every day, this woman lives in pain. But you know what she told me? And I wrote them down because I was like blown away with her attitude. These are her words. She says, I can't believe that God has trusted me so much with the suffering in my life. He has given me strength that I didn't even know I had. God is too awesome. He's too awesome. Now, that is a gift. If you knew Stella like I knew Stella, that sounds like a song, huh? If you knew <laughs> I told her I was going to give her this tape after because I was going to talk about her. But I will tell you that she doesn't cry about what she's going through. You know what her goal in life is? To make you laugh. That's what she tries to do. To make when, when I remember I went to go visit her in the hospital, one of the times I was in L.A., and I was going there, and I was hiding Prince. Prince is my little dog. She's a dog lover. She loves dogs. She's had like eight dogs. And so I was hiding him because I wanted to just bring her a little bit of joy. And so uh, and, I was, and I was like, oh, my gosh, where is she at? And all of a sudden, I heard her laugh. And her laugh filled the hallways of the hospital in the midst of pain and suffering in a hospital where people are going through many, many things, you could hear her laughing. And that is a gift. And that is the attitude that we need to have. That is the testimony of being able to go through pain and suffering and know that the joy, the joy, the joy that God has given us, the strength that he gives us, we can endure. Now, I have to be honest with you. I haven't always seen my trials in a positive way. I haven't always seen my pain in a positive way. I didn't like it. I don't like it. But I will tell you this. 
that I am doing the best possible to begin to start changing the way that I see my trials, the way that I go through pain. Because God brings those things my way because he trusts me. He trusts that I can handle it. He trusts that I can go through pain. He trusts that I can go through suffering and that I can continue to go forward. That as I walk, I encourage people with my testimony. I encourage people to keep going forward in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering. I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is that I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm going forward. And people are looking and go, man, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's how people need to see you. They need to see you go through your pain. They need to see you go through your suffering and say, man, I want to be like them. I want to be able to go through things like them. So the question is, is Christ being preached in your pain? Is your testimony standing out? Does your family see the gospel working in you? Or do they see panic? Do they see depression? Do they see you questioning God's faithfulness in your life? Because things aren't working out the way you thought. Sometimes we miss God's whole point because of our trials and our pain. Because life is not just about waiting for the storm to pass. Some of you are just on a waiting mode. You're just like you're in a plane and you're going around and around and around over the airport. You're just waiting for the storm to pass. You're waiting for the clouds to get away. You're waiting for the pain to go. I want to let you know something, that it's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's learning how to dance in the storm. It's learning how to sing and shout for joy in the middle of life's thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes. Stop asking yourself, why me? Why me? Why not you? Why not? Is there somewhere in the Bible that says your name and says, oh, they're too special to go through a trial. They're too special to go through suffering. They're too special. I got to put them aside. I'm going to tell you, if you don't go through pain and suffering, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. Some of you remember going through growing pains when you were young. Now, I've never had my bones doing growing pains, but my son did. And he would cry because his legs would hurt. And all I would tell him was, you're growing. Well, I don't want to grow like this. Well, there's nothing I can do. That's just life. Life says you got to grow. And when we've grown in our physical body, God says, okay, now you're done that way. Now I got to grow you spiritually. Now I got to grow you emotionally. Now I got to grow you mentally. And those trials and that pain serve as areas and ways to grow. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered by God. What you are going through, what you are experiencing, was all ordained by God. In Philippians 1-2, it says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. That was Paul. He's talking about when he's in jail. He says, Everything that's happened to me, I'm sitting here in jail. I'm sitting here in chains. I'm sitting here locked up. I'm sitting here being guarded 24 hours a day. And he says, everything that has happened to me, everything that I've experienced, all the flogging, all the whipping, all the fasting that they made them do, everything that he had, the cold, it's all been good. Can you say that about your pain and your suffering? It's all good. It's all good. 
You know, I'm coming up to seven years that my husband has been gone to be with the Lord. And I can honestly tell you now, it's all good. It is all good. Now, it didn't happen overnight. But I had to change the way that I saw it. I, I, I used to say, why me? Why not somebody else? Why do I have to be the one to go through this? Why do I have to be the first woman? Why do I have to be the first elder's wife? Why do I? And I was like going on a, like a broken record already. You guys, man, get over it. And I, you know what? I'm there. It's all good. Every pain, every suffering, every night that I cried myself to sleep, everything that I have gone through, I can say like Paul, everything that has happened to me, has helped me spread the good news. It's all good. So is what you're going through today spreading the good news in your testimony or not? Secondly, keeping your testimony through temptations. Scripture says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good. Right now, Satan is raging all over this earth as a roaring lion trying to devour Christians through temptation. See, temptations can take any one of us down at any time because we're all human. There is not one day that goes by that I don't think we're tempted. In some way, shape, or form, we're all tempted. Beating temptation requires a plan. You will not be able to defeat temptation just by saying, oh, I'm good, I'm strong, I can handle this. No, you can't. No, you can't. I don't know how many of you ever heard the saying, failing to plan is planning to fail. And it's the same with battling temptation. See, because you and I have a unique fingerprint. Nobody else has a fingerprint like you. Nobody else has a thumbprint like you. Nobody else has an eye print or a footprint or a voice print. Every single one of us is unique. And that's the way we are emotionally and spiritually because there are things that the enemy knows because we're different. We all have similar temptations, but we all experience it the differently, depending on our personality and our past experiences. For instance, I've never been tempted to take hard drugs. It just wasn't interesting to me. I never wanted to be controlled by something else. So that wasn't something that I wanted to do. But I'll tell you what is tempting for me, and boy, am I being vulnerable, food. <laughs> I love food. Any kind of food? Any kind of culture, I love food. Now, I know that my pattern of temptation is to go to a restaurant that I like, hungry. Wrong thing to do. I don't go to potlucks hungry now. I used to, and just pile it on. You don't go to Applebee's or Marie Callender's hungry, because you are going to order more than what you need. You and I need to know what our temptation level is, what our pattern is, because the devil knows it. He knows what uniquely tempts you. And if you don't know your temptations, you are headed for destruction. You are headed for a fall. 
So to figure out what your temptation pattern is, I want you to answer these questions. First question is, when am I most tempted? Now, if you look carefully, you'll notice that you're tempted more on certain days than others. For instance, on a Monday, you had to get up, you got to go back to work, weekend is over, and you're going back, and you're tempted to be frustrated and short-tempered, and you're irritated with people. But then on Friday, you're tempted a different way. You're tempted to, you know what? I deserve to be unwound the way that I want. I deserve to relax the way that I want. I've had a tough week all week long. So now I get to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whom I want, however I want. Then on Saturday morning, then you're tempted again. Because now you would just want to be lazy. You just stood up all night on Friday doing whatever you wanted. Now you're lazy on Saturday. Now you're wasting time. Now you're being irresponsible. There are certain days of the week where you're going to be tempted to do different things. You're also tempted at certain times of the day. And you need to know what those times are. Some of you are tempted more in the later afternoon when your blood sugar goes down and you, got, you get irritable and everybody knows like, uh-oh, it's 3.30, 4 o'clock. The bear is coming out. <laughs> Some of you are tempted when it's late night and everybody else is in bed. And you go and you flip on the TV or you flip on the computer and you turn down the light real low. Where are you most tempted? Maybe you're tempted in a certain restaurant. Maybe you're tempted when you go to the local gas station and you see certain magazines on the shelves. Maybe you're tempted when you're at your neighbor's house or maybe when you're on the computer. If you know where you're tempted, stay away. It's as simple as that, stay away. Don't go out at one, two, three o'clock in the morning with your boyfriend, girlfriend and think we're gonna be good. Please, get a grip. Nobody's good at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. If you don't want to get stung, stay away from the bees. Just stay away. There is nothing more important for you and I than to avoid temptation. Who are you with when you're tempted? See, some people are more tempted when they're alone. They're tempted when they think nobody's watching them. You know, people, Christians, get more tempted on airplanes than anywhere else. Because everybody else is drinking. Everybody else is getting those little, uh, what do you, those little bottles. They don't, who's going to tell on you? The stewardess don't know you. person next to you don't know you. You can be who you want. Nobody's watching. Some of you are tempted when you're around certain people. Get around them and man, all of a sudden you change. Some of you change when you're around your family or your friends. Some of you are tempted when you're with strangers. Because then you think I could do whatever I want, however. Know this, sin always, always has a temporary payoff. It's fun. If sin had the pain of a root canal, you would not do it. You would stay away from it. But there's pleasure in sin. We all like a little bit of sin because you know what? It does bring a little bit of pleasure. And the Bible says that it's fun. 
But the pleasure is always short term. It doesn't last. Why are you doing this temptation? Sometimes you give in to temptation because it brings you comfort. Sometimes it relieves your stress. Sometimes people are just looking for excitement. I just need to do something. Ask yourself, when I give in to this temptation, do I feel more loved? Do I feel more accepted? Do I feel more popular? Because sometimes we do temptation for the wrong reasons. Because whatever those reasons are, you need to look for healthy ways to get those kind of feelings. If you want to feel popular or you want to feel that you're more loved or more accepted, you need to find a positive way to get those feelings and not through temptation. Because, see, you can keep your temptation even during, tem you can keep your testimony through temptation. Make a plan or you will plan to fail. One plan, one way of doing it is found in James 5.16, where it says, admit your faults to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. That's a plan. The plan there tells us that confession and prayer leads to healing. When we're honest with our temptations, that's being called authentic. Nobody wants to be a fake. Nobody wants to wear a mask all the time. It takes too much energy to wear a mask all the time. Be authentic. Be real. That's what coming to church is all about. Now, you don't have to share your temptations with the whole world. You don't have to buy a billboard and say, this is what I'm tempted with. You don't have to do all that. But you do need to find one person. You do need to open up to someone who will accept you unconditionally. And when you tell them your secret sin, they're not going to rub your face in it. They're not going to remind you of it all the time. We all need an accountability partner. Someone who will listen to us. Someone who will check up on us. Someone who will ask us the hard questions. Were you on your computer tonight at 1 o'clock in the morning? Were you watching TV by yourself? What were you watching? What movie did you go see? Were you alone? All of those hard questions. You need to find an accountability partner because when we're honest with another believer about our temptations, it frees us. Then we're able to defeat the temptation when we share it one with another. Because when you hide temptation, when you even hide a hurt, it intensifies the pain. Wearing a mask makes us miserable. If you came in with a mask, I pray you'd leave without that mask because it makes us miserable. We spend a lot of emotional energy trying to pretend we're something that we're not. Every person is vulnerable to temptation. But we can keep our testimony even when we're tempted. I want this church to be a safe place where people can come and find others who are genuine, who are authentic. They're not trying to be super Wonder Woman or Superman. They have struggles. This church isn't a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And we're all in this together. Give the Lord a hand for that. Number three, keeping your testimony in your singleness and marriage. Says The scripture says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual 
promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. <clears throat> now, one of the problems for many married couples is that they give very little thought to how to protect their relationship. Every married couple here knows that marriage is not easy. Can I hear an amen? amen. Because marriage means giving up your rights daily. Every day, it's, you're dying. It's all, you're dying to yourself. You're dying to the way you want to do things. And since we're all wanting to be more Christ-like, the enemy is trying hard to separate what God has joined together. There is no other school that I know of that's as difficult and intense as the school of marriage. And guess what? You never graduate until one person dies. You never graduate. You're always going to be in school. If you're married, you're it. Marriage is till death do you part. Till death do you part. So here's a few things that I, I wanted to share with you, some of the things that Steve and I did to protect our marriage. First of all, we had a date night, or sometimes it was a date day, whatever, but it was just a date. And we would do this as often as possible. If we could do it once a week or once every other week, we'd make sure that we had a date night. If you are protecting your time together as a couple, you will be a stronger married couple. And the couples that fall are the ones who are growing apart and they look to someone else to meet their needs. You need a date night. Now, the ground rules for our date night was that date night was Steve's responsibility. It wasn't mine. I didn't set everything up. I didn't pick the restaurant. I didn't decide anything. All I did was follow him. He did the date night. See, because men don't have a great need to be pursued. Women do. Wives need to be pursued. You pursued her to get her to marry you. You need to continue to pursue her in your marriage. Don't give up just because you got the ring on her finger. You're done. No, you're not. You've only just begun. Only just begun. You have to continue to pursue her. She wants to be romanced. She wants to be chased. She wants to know that she matters to you more than anything else. And you know what? Every man has a desire to chase. Chase your wife. Chase your wife. Pursue your wife. It is your job, husbands, to plan and execute date night. You get the babysitter. You plan the restaurant. You take care of the movie. You take care of all the details and pursue her and let her enjoy. Now, I know I put a whole lot on the husbands. You're saying, this is not my thing. Well, you know what? It's going to have to be your thing. You're married. You're married. Take responsibility for your marriage. Amen? Okay. <laughs> also, in your marriage, or in our marriage, and I'm, I'm referring to my marriage with my husband, there were never any secrets, period. No secrets. Steve knew all my passwords on the computer. I had a list. He knew exactly where the paper was, and he knew whatever password he needed to find, if he ever wanted to go on, which he never did, but it was there for him. If he wanted to, he knew he could get in. He knew everything about everything. I never emailed or chatted with any ex-boyfriends. 
I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they're doing. I don't Facebook anybody. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. For some of you, you have a problem with a computer. Get a program like Covenant Eyes or Triple X Church. Those are good programs that will keep pornography off of your computer. Now, what about interacting with the opposite sex? Now, this is important. As a married couple, you need to have some things in place. We didn't meet alone or drive in a car alone with someone else of the opposite sex. He didn't drive with a woman, and I didn't drive with a man. We were not alone in a home with someone. I never went, when, you know, there were women, I'll never forget this, this is hilarious to me. Um, uh, years ago, I was really, really busy with the three kids and, and the ministry and traveling and stuff, and s sometimes there were women who wanted to come and help me with my house because it was just too big for me to always keep up. And, um, and so I had not made it back yet. I was on, I'd done some errands, and I was on my way back, and, um, and Steve had called me. He goes, where are you? And I go, well, I'm on my way home. And he goes, well, there's, there's a woman here to clean the house. And I go, oh, okay, good. And he goes, no, she's not coming in. I go, what? He, he goes, no, she's sitting outside. I go, well, just let her in. He goes, no, you're not here. I go, oh. And to me, it was like not that big of an issue. But to him, he kept it. He said, no, she's not coming in until you come home. And when I got home, there she was, sitting outside in the, park, in the car. He refused to allow his testimony to be marred with anybody coming into the house. I never hugged anybody that he didn't approve of. And he never hugged anybody that I didn't approve of. And we also did a lot of side hugs. You know the side hugs? This way? Not this way. This way. A side hug. And my husband never, ever counseled a woman alone. Amen. Ever. Those are just things that will help you to protect your marriage. Those are things that will help you to keep your testimony in your marriage. They're very, very important to grow and protect the, what God, the sanctity of your marriage. Now, some of you may wonder, well, is all this necessary? I mean, do I really have to do all this? No, you don't. You really don't. But if you want to go the distance in your marriage, if you want to make it all the way to the end, you're going to have to put some things into effect in your marriage. And if you're single, let me just go through this real quick and you like someone, don't hide it. Be accountable for your feelings. If you, I get concerned. I get concerned when I hear a couple likes each other, but they never go out with other couples. They never say anything. And all of a sudden you hear, oh, they're getting married. Oh, she's pregnant. Oh, all because they didn't want to be accountable. All because they just wanted to hang out with each other and nobody else all the way to the wee hours of the morning. Keep your testimony in your marriage and in your singleness. Number four, keeping your testimony in ministry. Scripture says we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. The one trait that all successful leaders share is the passion and commitment to spiritual growth. 
If you are a leader or you're over a ministry or you're involved in, in ministry or you want to be involved in ministry, you need to know that you need to be committed to personal growth. Because growth is always intentional. It just doesn't happen. It's not like your body where it'll just automatically grow. No, personal growth is intentional. It's never accidental. You're never going to grow automatically in your spiritual life. Growth is not always fun either. I mean, sometimes you got to turn off the TV. Sometimes you got to turn off the computer and you got to study. Do you always want to? No. Is it always fun? No. But you do what you have to do to grow. You don't go out and spend all your time fellowshipping and all your time with this person and that person and think that you're going to grow into this mighty man or mighty woman of God. It just doesn't happen that way. you got to stop and you got to pay attention to your growth. Many times you're just going to have to say, you know what, I don't feel like it. Many times you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to do it. That's where the commitment part comes in. Are you committed? Are you committed to personal growth? Because growth is in our hands. It's never somebody else's responsibility. It's our responsibility. And those of you who are ministry leaders and you're in leadership, you need to know that nobody's going to continue looking over your shoulder. Nobody's going to be watching you, what you're doing every minute of the day. But if you're not intentional and you are not growing your ministry, everybody will know by the results of your ministry. That speaks loud and clear. Whatever ministry you're in, whether it be music or children or ushers or greeters or security or, or, or decorating, whatever your ministry is, the results will show whether you're growing or not. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, where's the commitment to personal growth? Where's the passion to get out of that sameness? Because see, results don't lie. Just like when you were going to school and you got a report card, that report card told if you were spending time doing your homework. That report card said if you were studying. And in the same way, your leadership will tell what kind of a leader you are by the results that we see. Are you keeping your testimony in your ministry? Number five, keeping your testimony in the church and outside of church. Scripture says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed that people don't name their daughters after these two women. Anybody ever heard somebody named Syntyche or Euodia? Those are just not names that we, we hear. I mean, we hear Peter, James, John, Lydia, Priscilla. Sometimes we've even heard of Dorcas. There's a lot of names, Mary, a lot of names that we get from the Bible, but we don't ever hear about Euodia and Syntyche. You're going to have, you have a hard time finding somebody like that. And the reason for that is because parents tend to name their children over something positive. They name their children after someone who has a strong legacy. Most parents don't name their children after a bad legacy. You will not name your child, well, I hope you don't name it after, you know, some of the murderers that we've had or... You know, I, I know there's a baseball player that used to be named Milton Bradley, but uh, that was a fun, funny name. But you don't name yourself, your, your child after someone who has had a bad past. And that's exactly the kind of people that Euodia and Syntyche were. See, because we don't know anything about these two women except for the fact that they couldn't get along. They were constantly fighting with each other. 
These two women, they could have been leaders. They could have been teachers. They could have been givers. They could have been prayer warriors. They could have been involved in women's ministry. They could have been usherettes. They could have been greeters. They could have been children's ministry workers. They could have been all of those things, or they could have been none at all. We don't know. But I do know this, that forever and ever, everyone will remember the Yodia and Sintrasi for one thing and one thing only. They couldn't get along. What kind of a legacy do you have? What is your relationship with God showing people about your testimony? Do you get along with people? Because, see, there are people who more than anything else are leaving a legacy of conflict. You are always fighting. If, every, if anything comes up, people sometimes they know exactly who to ask or who to talk to. Oh, this, this is happening. Oh, those two people are fighting. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I bet you I can tell you who was fighting. I bet you I can tell you who was in conflict. I bet you, because some of you are building a legacy like that. You're always in conflict. You're never just kind of flow. You're always having to say something. You're always having to have a rebuttal. And you're building a legacy. You're building a personality. You're building uh, your testimony on conflict. On conflict. So what's the point? The point is, Build a better legacy. You don't want to be a person of conflict. You don't want people to always point at you and go, oh, yeah, there he goes again. It's always negative. Always talking about something wrong. So, oh, there she goes again. Always fighting. Doesn't know how to get along with anybody. She only can do things that she wants to do the way she wants to do it because nobody can work with her. Don't let your, person, your testimony be remembered as the person who was hard to get along with. Don't let your testimony be, oh, yeah, you, I always have to work by myself. Nobody can ever work with me because I don't get along with people. More importantly, don't let that be our church's testimony. Change your attitude before your name goes down in God's book of life right next to Yodia and Sintasi. Oh, do you want your name come right after those two? I don't. Change your attitude. Last, keeping your testimony with your unsafe family and friends. And the scripture says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Now, believe it or not, your personal testimony is one of the most powerful tools that God has given you to reach non-believers with the gospel. And it's amazing. You know, a couple of weeks ago or even a couple of months ago, it was freezing. I mean, it was like 45 degrees in the morning. And if you went outside, you would be freezing. But if you went out there and you started cleaning your yard and you started doing some jogging in that cold weather, 40 degrees, 35 degrees, within a certain amount of time, you would be sweating. You'd be going through all kinds of changes. Now, when you first walked out there, it was cold. But once you start exercising and once you start moving, all of a sudden, you begin to start sweating. You can go from freezing cold to barely, see, barely noticing the cold. Because when you're exercising, the cold doesn't affect you. The importance of that analogy is that as Christians, we are living in times where it's really cold. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, and that includes believers, that includes so-called Christians, 
the love of most will grow cold. Now there's the group, group number one, the cold ones. That's the group that Jesus said most people would be living in. That's the group that most people like to live in all week long. And then they come on Sunday and they do their spiritual exercise and they get a little sweaty and then they go right back into living in the cold. There's going to be a lot of people living in the cold. Most people live in the cold. Living in a world where sin is everywhere and where most people, most Christians hang out is in spiritual coldness. But some believers are going to be fighting the cold with some important spiritual exercise, and that's group two. Because at the same time that sin is exploding all over the world, the Bible says that Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. There they are. You got the bold. You got the cold, and you got the bold. Those are the believers who know. They look at the times. They look at the news. They listen, and they say, oh, man, Jesus is coming back because it's getting bad. It's really getting bad. When we, when we allow homosexuality into the elementary schools, when we start having rainbow clubs in all the high schools, when we have homosexual proms, when all of the sin and the degradation is so flagrant out there, you drive through San Francisco, you've got whole areas where triple X and all of that stuff, it's just out there. When you've got child pornography, when you've got kidnapping, when you've got you know, children who are being stolen and used and abused. All of that shows Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back. And those of you who were bold, you know the time. You know that it's happening. But where are you? Are you the cold or are you the bold? Because when we live in a sin cold world. It's easy to grow numb in the cold. It's easy to not let it affect you. You're in the middle of sin. You go to work and people tell dirty jokes and you laugh. People bring dirty magazines and you just glance. People talk about going from one man to another man to another man, living with this girl, living with that guy, and no big thing. And you are totally numb. You don't let it affect you. You're letting yourself become cold. The sin of people around us can begin to numb us to the sin of the world. And I believe that Jesus is calling us to rescue dying people. He's calling us to be bold in our witness. I mean, your influence, wherever you go, what kind of influence do you have? I pray that you would begin to throw everything of who you are, all of your influence, all of your home, all of your talents, all of your money, all of your time into winning souls for Jesus. Because if you're not bold, you're going to be part of the cold. But your heart and your life will warm up fast with a little bit of exercise. Once you get out there and you start sharing the gospel, once you get out there and start telling people what Jesus has done in your life, how you used to be lost, but now you are found. Once you were blind, but now you see. Once you were dying, but now you're living. Once you had no hope, but now you have hope. When you begin to live your testimony in front of people, you begin to leave the cold and you believe, you begin to go and be part of the bold. We can't give up on our unsafe family and friends, but you got to keep your testimony around them. 
You got to let them look at you and see what you got. And that's Jesus. Now, as we close Stewardship Month, I have some what ifs for you. What if you were to realize today that you were born with a purpose and that you have an assignment to be a testimony everywhere you go? What if 75 people gave two hours per week to start a journey group? What if we all prayed five minutes per day for revival? What if we all tithed? What if we all memorized one Bible verse each week? What if we all led one person to the Lord this year? What if? See, you have a testimony. Each of you have a testimony. You have a story. God has given you a story that is unique to you. Testimonies are not just victory stories after the battle, but they're statements of faith that while you're going through the battle, you are looking up. While you're going through the battle, you're getting strength. While you're going through the battle, you say, you know what, I may not see the end, but I do know this, that while I'm going through it, God is going to strengthen me. God is going to carry me. God is going to love me. He is going to do everything he can to get me through this battle. Your, your testimony is a declaration that God makes springs flow in the desert. That whether you're in the valley or whether you're in the wilderness, that you can still have joy. That there is joy in the morning. That weeping endures for a night, but joy comes. Rejoicing comes. You're going to learn how to dance in the storm. You're going to learn how to go through the hurricanes and tornadoes. You're going to do it because of your testimony. Your testimony. God is your healer. That through Christ you can do all things. And that in him is the victory. Our testimony is that we continue to have faith. That we don't give up. Because God surely doesn't give up on us. We may give up on him. But thank God he doesn't give up on us. He will not quit on us. Until he sees his purposes and plans unfolded. And fulfilled in our life. God is not quitting on you. Don't quit on him. Have faith. Keep taking one step at a time. You don't have to take giant steps. Just take a step. Keep your testimony. No matter what, you keep your testimony. You are a disciple of Jesus. You need to begin to say to yourself, I must keep going until he comes. I must give until I drop. I must preach all I know. I must work until he stops me. Because when he comes for me, he will have no problem recognizing me. Because my testimony will be clear. Stand with me this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, first I want to talk to those who may not know Jesus as their personal Savior. You've never accepted him into your life. You picked a great day to come. And accept him. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted him, you've never allowed him to come in and take control of your life, this is your day. If you'd raise your hand, I'd like to pray with you this morning. Anybody here? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else want to accept Christ as their personal Savior? Amen. Now those of you who are 
part of the church or you've been here before, you're thinking about your testimony. Your testimony in the church, out of the church. Your testimony through your temptations and through your trials and pain. Your testimony in your singleness in your marriage. Your testimony in your ministry. Your testimony with your family and your friends. And you may be saying, you know what, I, I really need to work on my testimony. I haven't been everything I should be. I need to grow. I need to look at things differently. I need to change. And if you're here this morning, raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. saying, I, I want prayer to be a better testimony. Amen. Hands all over this place. Hallelujah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the worship team begin to sing, and I'm going to open up the altars for you to come this morning and to make that commitment to the Lord that you want to be a better testimony in whatever area the Lord so whatever it takes whatever it takes whatever it takes you. and I will serve you